Father, you know the need and you've heard the cries in our heart. And so, Father, we're going to leave these requests with you and trust you to move. Father, give us confidence and faith in the power of the Spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God has been advancing a plan. And his plan all along has been to redeem and to restore everything broken by the sin that has entangled this entire world. And his strategy for accomplishing this goal is to send the Redeemer, the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent, who would take away the curse of sin and give mankind the hope of eternity with God. And so God chooses Abram. Abraham would be the father of this great nation through which God would send the Redeemer into the world. And God's promise to Abraham is that I'm going to give you land. He says, I'm going to give you a nation that you cannot number. And he says, I'm going to make them a blessing. I'm going to bless them and they will be a blessing to the whole world. Well, God is committed to keeping his promise. And so he moves in a way to protect the descendants of Abraham during this worldwide famine. Uh, They find sanctuary in Egypt through a set of circumstances. But after a few generations, the Egyptians begin to oppress these descendants of Abraham, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, who uh, now known as Israel. And they begin to experience bondage there in Egypt. They become an enslaved people. Plus, they're living as aliens in a foreign land, a land that God had not promised them, a different land. And God's plan all along was to lead them out, to lead this chosen nation out into the land he promised them. And that's how Moses arrives on the scene of the story of Scripture. God calls Moses uh, to go to Pharaoh, uh, which I said last week is a little bit like a farmer just kind of walking up into the Kremlin and demanding uh, all the political dissidents be let go. But that's what happens. Marches in. God sends Moses. Moses doesn't want to go, but he goes. And he demands Pharaoh let the people go, but of course Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and uh, he continues to keep it hard towards the Lord. So God sends ten plagues, and uh, even after all of that, Pharaoh remains hardened, or excuse the first nine, he remains hard against what the Lord is asking them to do. Wouldn't budge until the tenth plague. And the tenth plague is the death angels that sweeps across the land, and the firstborn in every Egyptian household falls to death. Uh, except for those that had the blood of the lamb over the doorframe. And it's only then that Pharaoh let Moses take the people out of, um, out of bondage. And we read in uh, Exodus chapter 12, excuse me, Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. Then he, that's Pharaoh, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Now, God had warned Israel that they were to be ready to leave, said this is going to happen. And so they were to prepare accordingly when they had that Passover meal. So they left with haste. God also gave the Hebrews favor with the Egyptians, and they caused the Egyptian neighbors to uh, give them uh, gold and livestock and precious metals and so much more. So 430 years after the time when Jacob came to Egypt, his descendants are now leaving For the promised land. The scripture says there were 600,000 men 
Doesn't mention the number of women and children. So this was a mass exodus out of Egypt. Uh, we've seen, I'm sure you've seen those epic films uh, that depict uh, the Hebrew children coming out of Egypt. I watched clips of them online uh, this week in prep because it's kind of like you read the text. It's like, I've got to see that again, what that was like in some of those movies. And so God leads the people out of Egypt, but he didn't take them to the promised land on the most direct route. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So the most direct route, which would have been along the Mediterranean Sea, probably would have taken a couple of weeks to get from where they were in Ramesses to the promised land. But they took the desert road because that's the road that the Lord chose. Um, And it was a 40-year journey through the wilderness until they arrive at the promised land. Of course, it wasn't supposed to be 40 years until they rebelled against God. But God picked the route. He didn't want them to take the direct path because he knew they'd face opposition. He knew that they would be too afraid to face opposition. They weren't ready for that kind of opposition. So he took the nation of Israel to the promised land by the roundabout way. They went southeast toward the Red Sea. Now choosing the path seemed counterintuitive. I mean, you're heading to the place where we're going to get stuck, we're going to get trapped. But God knew what he was doing. And I just want to say to you today, God knows what he's doing in your life. I know it's hard to see it with your own eyes sometimes. And you think, what is he up to? Why am I headed in this direction? But God knows. And his way is always best. So he picks the route. He sent this pillar of fire and this cloud to lead Moses and the people along. And uh, there's a lot of ambiguity. You know, I would have loved to have been able to show you maps, but there's a lot of disagreement of where exactly they went, how they traveled. Um, There's a lot of good guesses based on uh, ruins and ancient towns that we think were in certain locations. Uh, But what we do know, according to the scriptures, is they ended up near a town called Pi-Haharoth. And this is between Migdal and the Red Sea. So they made it to the Red Sea. And after the Israelites had made it that far, Then Pharaoh and the Egyptians started to regret that they let the Hebrews go. Now, it says in the text that they regretted because here's this slave labor. Why are we letting them go? But it also has to be that they want to pay them back for what's happened to them. But they have really short memories, don't they? They forget what happened, what God had done to lead them to the point, to lead Pharaoh to the point to say, yes, Moses, Aaron, take them, take them quickly, leave us alone. And uh, because, of course, it was those plagues, the water to blood, lice, frogs, locusts, the death of the cattle, the day turning to night, boils all over their skin, awful things. But their memories are so short, and they're like, let's go after them again. Let's try this all over again, is what they say. But um, he calls, uh, Pharaoh calls for his select chariot, 600 select chariots. So this is kind of like his weapon of mass destruction, right? Takes them and then the rest of the chariots in Egypt and they all start pursuing uh, in the direction of where the Israelites headed out. And they catch up to them around Pi-Hahiroth. And the Hebrews are standing there. And as they look out, they can see the Red Sea right in front of them. And as they look back, they begin to see the Egyptians coming after them, Pharaoh's army coming behind them. What are they gonna do? What's gonna happen? Of course we know. This morning, I want us to look at it together in a message entitled Red Sea Highway. God is going to make a way to deliver Moses 
and the children of uh, Israel from the chaos of the sea, as well as from the bloodthirsty hands of the Egyptians. Um, now, I have to say this as a side note. I- I'm real nervous about preaching this message because it's so epic that it's like, how in the world can I give it kind of the proper energy and effort that it needs? And I'll say the text is sufficient, so don't depend on me for that, okay? But it's an amazing event that takes place here. So if you have your Bibles, I sure hope you do. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 10, and we'll read through verse 15 together. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us? In this way, bringing us out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you've seen today... You will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. And Lord, we know we're reading about this epic moment where you showed up in, the most, in, in, in an unparalleled way to demonstrate your power both for the Hebrews and for the Egyptians and for all generations. But God, in this moment, would you speak now to our hearts? Lord, we don't want to just be entertained. We don't want to just be awed by these wonders that we read of in Scripture. We want to meet with you today. So would you speak to our hearts? Father, I pray that you would remove me from the equation, that you would speak to hearts, especially those who are far from you. Lord, may we all be drawn to the cross of Christ today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In Exodus 14, we see how God uses his mighty power to set Israel free and crush the Egyptian army um, as the Hebrew children are led out of Egypt by way of a Red Sea highway. And what I hope that you'll see as we study the text is as we follow the Lord's leadership, we have to learn to trust him and to keep moving forward, even when we face great opposition, even whenever we are dealing with intimidation. God's call to us is go forward. God chooses Abraham in this moment to, uh, to do his bidding, uh, to save the people. And so in the text, I, I don't think that we can quite grasp this mass exodus of what it's like. And so I want us to look at this together of how God leads the people forward in faith, forward to salvation, and forward in obedience. We'll begin with forward in faith. And what we have here is more than a million people probably traveling by caravan across this uh, rugged terrain of the wilderness in Egypt, wagons full of supplies. They're having to drive uh, the uh, livestock along with them. I mean, it's women and children of all ages, men, women, and children of all ages. I mean, they couldn't have been traveling too fast. Uh, This is an incredible event, a daunting task. um, But here they are, and they're headed out. And in verse 10, the Israelites looked, 
after they've been traveling for a while, and they look behind them, and it says they beheld the Egyptian army now maneuvering to come after them. Verse 10 says they became frightened. Very frightened is what the text says, which has to be the understatement of the millennium, right? You know, I mean, you would be frightened too. We presume they could see. See in front of us. We can't go there. We know there are natural barriers for them to go uh, north or south. And so the only way is back, and back is this Egyptian army. The, uh, the Israelites knew they were vulnerable to attack. They didn't have a standing army. They weren't ready to wage war. And now there's a thousand chariots or more coming after them, men on horses, soldiers, ready for battle. What do you do in a situation like that? At the end of verse 10, it says, the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They believed the Lord was their only refuge. Our only hope in the middle of this situation is God. Maybe he'll show up here. So they lifted their voices in prayer. But their faith was, you know, was, was not something to write home about at this point. Uh, in the very next verse, in verse 11, the Israelites start complaining. I mean, what did you do? Bring us out here because we didn't have enough graves there? You wanted us to die here? It would have been better back there. I mean, we were enslaved, but at least we were alive. Why have you done this? It's better to live there than to come out here and be slaughtered like sitting ducks. The nation of Israel had forgotten how God had provided in the past. I mean, they had seen it in dramatic ways. But they also knew about how God had delivered others. They surely knew the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah. They knew about the ram in the thicket. They knew God by the name, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Jireh. They had forgotten, though, of his previous provision, and now they're panicked. They also forgot how God keeps his promises. He'd made promises to Abram, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He'd fulfilled those promises. There's no way God has led them out into the wilderness in order to get slaughtered. What they saw with their eyes was leading them to forget what they knew in their heart and in their mind. And so in their minds, as so many of us do, they went to the worst case scenario. Death at the hands of Egypt here on the banks of the Red Sea. It seems as though the people really saw only two options. Either we'll go back and we'll become slaves to Egypt again, probably under harsher treatment, or we'll die right here. But God had a better option in mind. Moses immediately calls to the people. Same thing we see over and over in Scripture. Do not fear. Fear not. And he knew how paralyzing fear could be. He also knew it could have the opposite effect, and people just scattering, you know, total chaos. So he adds, now stand still. God's going to fight for you. What do you have to be afraid of if the Lord fights for you? In verse 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now, I, I think that verse is, uh, it sounds very soothing. But we're probably reading it with the, with the wrong tone here. Because I think what is being said here is, shut up, you're complaining. That's what he's saying. Stand still and watch what I'm going to do. Shut your mouths. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't know if you've ever been there as a parent before, but that's what God was doing. Shut your mouths. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do, right? Now, verse 15 is a little odd because it sounds like God is questioning Moses for his prayers. He's saying to him, why are you crying out to me? And we think, why would would God say don't cry out to me in prayer? So what's he saying here? What I think the text implies here is not so much a frustration that Moses is praying, but for the lack of action. He says, Tell the sons of Israel, go forward. 
Now, Israel can see the Red Sea. It's just a short distance ahead. The Egyptian chariots, hot on their trail, God says to his people, go forward. You think, what a word. Go forward towards the sea. Well, we know what happens. They don't. Moses has got to think, you're crazy. But his point is, don't sit down. Don't try to figure this out. Don't pull together some sort of negotiating plan so that you can make your way back in good graces with Pharaoh. God says, go forward. And what I will hope that you will see in this text this morning is that really prayer is no substitute for the act of moving forward. Now, I know that sounds like a dangerous phrase for a pastor to say. So let me clarify. <clears throat> prayer is an important part of the Christian life. It plays a critical role in this epic story. They found themselves like sitting ducks. What do they do? Pray. They call out to God in prayer. And it's the right thing to do. Why? Because their only hope is God right now. And they see God as their refuge. When we pray, it reveals the same exact thing. That we see God as our only hope. That we see God as our refuge. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. When we call on God in prayer, when we find ourselves in trouble, and we call on God in prayer, we're doing the right thing. Because prayer, it, prayer is a critical tool for the Christian life. But it's not a substitute for moving forward in faith. What I think happens to us in the Christian life is sometimes we're so overwhelmed by the circumstances around us that we think there's nothing for us that we can even do. Or we become so frozen by indecision, God, what should I do here? And so we think, do I throw out a fleece? Do I wait for God to give me a sign? What should I do in this situation? And we pray about it. But we don't do much else. We just pray. Well, I can hear the Lord calling to us this morning, child of God, go forward. Move forward. Don't sit idle any longer in your faith. Go forward. And you think, well, what ways can we go forward? First of all, I would say by doing what's right. Very often... Probably more often than not, we know the right thing to do in a situation. And we have felt compelled to act. Perhaps you look around. A couple weeks ago, we were dealing with the situation of orphans in our state, talking about the opportunity for foster care. And you know, there's an opportunity here for me to serve. Well, you don't have to sit there and think about what more should I do or pray about waiting for the sign. God has gifted you for service. If he's gifted you for service, you should be stepping into service. I know the right thing to do. I ought to do it. We, we find ourselves in complex relationships, and we're like, mm, we've got to navigate. But we already know what we need to do. We already know what we need to say. So we pray for God to provide a different way out, right? Whenever we know the right way, do the right thing. Move forward in faith when you know what the right thing is to do. And the second thing I would say is live on mission. I know that you have neighbors and classmates, uh, co-workers, family members, maybe perfect strangers that are heavy on your heart because you are concerned about their spiritual condition. You're not sure where their internal destination will be. And so you've been praying for them. And you pray, God, would you lead somebody into their life that can point them to you? But you never speak up when you're standing there before them. You don't pursue the coffee appointment. You don't line up lunch with them. You wave, you act nice, you pray for them, you try to encourage them. In indirect ways, you're pointing them to Jesus, but you're afraid to move forward with regards to a gospel conversation. This week, let's commit to let our prayers turn into action. 
where we go forward in faith, live on mission by sharing the hope that's within us to the people we've been praying for. What are we waiting for? God calls us forward. Well, following the Lord requires moving forward in faith as well as moving forward for salvation. God says to Moses in uh, chapter 14, verse 16, as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through on the midst of, uh, of the sea on dry land. If we're not careful, we'll see this passage of scripture as a story about Israel or a story about the amazing leadership of Moses and his faith. I want to remind you, when we read the scriptures, it's a message about God. This is a story about God's power, about God's deliverance, about God fulfilling his kingdom purposes in the way that he chooses to in the world. So he comes to Israel's aid. They did not deserve salvation from God. They had not earned his intervention in this situation. This whole event is a demonstration of God's grace, unmerited favor towards the Hebrew children. It's also a demonstration of God's commitment to keep his promises. He had promised to Abraham, I'll lead them, lead you to a promised land. He promised to bless this nation, his descendants. And he said, if anybody curses you, I'll curse them. So he promised that he would do this. So this event is a reminder to the Hebrews of who he, said, who he is and what he has said. And it's also a demonstration for the Egyptians that there is no match for the great I am. Now imagine if you've been reading through the consumed plan on your own, you've probably had some questions as you've come to this passage of scripture. Why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why does he lead them to reject him? Why why does he deal so um, severely with the Egyptian people? Verse 17 says that God's plan is to be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. His desire was that Egypt would acknowledge that God is the one true God, that he is the great and mighty God. That's what he wanted them to do. And so his pathway to do that was to humiliate them by allowing the sea to swallow them up. So as the charioteers and horsemen see Israel crossing on dry land, they head out in pursuit. And God's going to bring himself glory in this moment. Because he is sovereign and God does as he pleases. But you have to be reminded. The anchor for our soul is to be reminded. But he does so with righteousness intact. And he does so with love because he is love. So God comes to the aid of Israel here. He sent Moses who led the people out of Egypt. Now here at the Red Sea, he's offering the free gift of salvation from this Egyptian army, from slavery to Pharaoh. But to receive the gift, they have to move forward. They have to go forward. Well, I would say to you today that salvation is a free gift, but we have to move forward to receive it by faith. Just like Israel. We have a very real enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He is patiently waiting for the perfect moment. He's smacking his lips ready to devour you. The scriptures are clear. We are dead in our transgressions. His claws are deep within us. We'll surely suffer suffer eternal separation from God, punishment because of our sin. But God has come in, and you know what he's done? He's made a way for us. He's created a path to save us. But we cannot simply hear, there's a path for you to take. We actually have to go forward. We can't simply participate in religious practices. We can't just depend on our 
prayer habits to save us. The message that God would have for us is go forward in faith. We must receive salvation by believing in the name of Jesus. We've already sung about this name of Jesus. It's the only name that can save. So to go forward means I throw myself at the mercy of God. Because it's like walking into the sea that can swallow me up. I throw myself at the mercy of God because I haven't earned salvation. I don't deserve salvation. But I recognize by way of the cross, by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus, I can be saved from the enemy who's got his claws in me that wants to take me to everlasting punishment. But I have to go by way of the cross, by believing in Jesus. The scripture says to as many as receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. So God urges us, go forward in faith. He urges us to go forward for salvation and now forward in obedience. Verses 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Moses did as God commanded. He stretched out his hand over the seas, but Moses is not doing the saving Moses isn't the one who is freeing the people. It's God. He's the one who sends the wind to pull back the waters. Moses stretched out his hand, but God's the one who sent the wind. And and you think, well, how can God do that? Well, he's the one that created the whole world. And he said that the the waters were to come together into one place. That's what it says in Genesis 1, I think, verse 7. Now he's saying, now I want you to split because I need something. God can do what he wants to do in this moment. In Genesis, he does it by speaking a word, but here he sends the wind. And I have to imagine that that's so they can hear God at work. It says all night the wind blew. And you think about that Egyptian army thinking, what is happening on the other side of this pillar of flat fire and this pillar of cloud that's moved between them and the the Israelites? What's happening here? But when they finally could see, they noticed the million of people that are walking down in the caravan, carrying their, you know, pulling their uh, wagons and uh, hauling the livestock and all their supplies, and they're going down into this sea. And on either side, the scripture says there's a wall of water. So God has erected a dam on both sides so that they can walk on dry land. Well, of course, they have to go and pursue them. And so, I mean, because they think, well, we can't take chariots down into the riverbed. But what are they supposed to do? Go back to Pharaoh and say, well, we saw the Israelites walk across, but of course we didn't pursue them. So they head down. Scriptures say that God hardened their hearts. They head on and they struggle. Their wills struggling there in the mud plough or whatever it is that's there in the riverbed. Um, Then he confuses them and they start, don't know which direction to go. And then it became obvious that the Lord was fighting for them. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptian, over their chariots and their horsemen. This verse should serve as a reminder that God judges people who reject his gracious salvation. We struggle with the prospects of that. How can God do that? But God offers a gift, and if you reject that gift, that free gift of grace, that free gift of salvation by grace through faith, then we can expect that God will judge us for that. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians, 
They had drowned the Hebrew children in the Nile. And now God drowns the Egyptian soldiers in the Red Sea. Verse 30 says, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, from the power of the Egyptians. They were the strongest force on earth, but they were no match for the Lord. As believers who've been delivered from bondage to sin, our only response to the Lord's call on our life is to move forward in obedience to his command. Now, in order to understand what freedom meant for Israel, I have to be very, real, very clear here. <clears throat> they were enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. And now this dry land has been provided, a way for them to cross over, and they are leaving slavery to Pharaoh in order to become slaves to God. So they were being set free here so that they can be enslaved to God over there, serving him in his kingdom, living in obedience to his command. Well, it's the same thing the Lord has done for us. He has set us free from bondage to sin, but it's true freedom. That's to say we are free to do what we ought to do, not what we want to do. There's a big difference there. In Galatians 5.13, it says, do not use your freedom, speaking to the Christian, do not your, use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. But the admonition coming from the Lord is rather serve others in love. So we're set free not to serve ourselves, but to serve God and others. <clears throat> as a believer in Jesus, I'm free to live in obedience to the Lord. I've not been set free in order just to say, oh, well now I'm a Christian. I have been set free so that I can serve King Jesus and so that I can advance his kingdom. Well, what does that look like? Well, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I'm giving opportunity to, given opportunity to obey God to my generosity. Because most of the time in this world, everything we get we think is for us, the things that bring us pleasure, the things that we want. But rather, I'm supposed to look at every penny I've been given as if it's the Lord's. What do you want me to do with this, Lord, for the sake of your kingdom? I'm set free so I can obey God, so that I can walk in obedience so that I can point others to Christ. I don't know what you expected out of this sermon, but I do know that whenever we come to this text, very often we will, are tempted to misapply the text. We read the text and we think, you know what? I also have my very own Red Sea experience. We, I, I, I um, think of my difficult circumstances, my frustrating situation as my own Red Sea event. I think of my, you know, but that's a dangerous application. That's a dangerous application of the text. I ought not claim that every bad day I have is my own Red Sea event, my own personal Egypt. I ought not believe that every person who upsets me or wrongs me is my own Pharaoh. And whenever I cry out to God for deliverance and it doesn't come in this magnificent way like it does here, that's not opportunity for me to doubt God and his goodness. Because this is a text all about God. It's about seeing his mighty power. It's about seeing his commitment to his covenant about seeing his gracious act to save his chosen people from destruction. Here's the point. As Christians, we're not awaiting <clears throat> any kind of deliverance. <clears throat> As Christians, we're not awaiting deliverance. We already have it. Egypt is behind us. We've crossed over the Red Sea by way of the cross. So the best application for the believer is to say, how now shall I live that I'm on this side of the Red Sea? Well, I ought to live for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. And there ought to be evidence of that in my everyday living. God's call to the Hebrews was forward. Go forward. Forward in faith. Forward to salvation. Forward 
in obedience. Well, each of us are moving forward to our own heavenly promised land if we're believers in Christ. What do we have to lose by living faithfully to Christ in our limited time? What do we have to lose? Let's go all in to advance God's kingdom. Let's go forward because I believe that's what God is calling us to. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been set free, set free from slave enslavement to sin. But Father, I pray that uh, you would help us now to see what our responsibility is as we live as servants to King Jesus. God, we want to honor you and live for you with every bit of life that you've given us, every resource you've entrusted to us. But Father, we recognize that this is also an opportunity for many people who don't know you or many people who have just been sitting still, not moving forward, to commit their lives to you, Jesus, to respond to the call to go forward, to receive you by grace through faith. So Lord, would you speak now to our hearts? Would you help us now to respond? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come to a time of commitment. Maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart. You need to trust Jesus today. You're trying to save yourself. Don't do it. Only Jesus can save. Or maybe you have struggled to follow Christ in obedience to his command and you want to take a step of commitment, maybe here in the church or in some other way. Right now, I want you to respond. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Our choir is going to sing. And where you are, you can pray and call out to God or I'll be down front if you have a decision to make.